This is the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Boundaries or burnout, you make the choice. Here's your host, Michael Levitt. Welcome to another episode of the Breakfast Leadership Podcast. Today, I've got Alan Adamson on the line. He's the author of Shift Ahead, and he's doing a lot of great things in the leadership space. So, Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. A pleasure to be here. Great to have you here. So, a lot of things you talk about, uh, specifically in the leadership space and organizations, and this is something I really want to dive into right away, is there are organizations that are able to adjust with changes in the landscape, market, economy, you name it. And then there's other organizations that don't. In your research, what did you find were the, you know, the factors that could discern which organizations will be able to succeed and which ones will fall by the wayside? There were more reasons people would fall by the way. There wasn't a simple, here are the three things you can do to shift ahead. There were a few things, and I'll cover those. But why so many companies struggle with it is it's, it's really hard. And there's some strong barriers that make it hard. Um, and we can cover a, a few of those. But you know, there's so many ways to fail and only a few ways to succeed, I guess, is my short answer. So those organizations that succeed, the ones that you've researched, what are some of the things that they do? that really makes them stand out? Is it something where they, they just have a lot of visionaries with their teams or are they just more agile than other organizations? The number one way they succeed is they, I guess there are two driving forces of success. One is they take a attitude that success is never final. They'll have a bit of that famous Andy Grove, only the parent survive. They, they don't get complacent. They're always worried. They're always concerned that just because they had a good day yesterday doesn't mean they'll have a good day tomorrow. And conversely, organizations that have trouble shifting ahead is sort of, you know, are very into the autopilot of, hey, let's do what we did last year. It worked pretty well. Let's do what we did yesterday and let's keep on doing it. So that was, it's an attitudinal shift uh, that separated the winners from the losers. The other, the other big thing is, is leadership. You know, oftentimes leadership loses touch. One of the people we spoke to was a cultural anthropologist, Paco Underhill. And he said, you know, find the desk furthest away from the customer. And that's where the person in charge typically sits. And, you know, a lot of companies that have trouble shifting ahead, if you would, don't have their quarterback on the field. (laughs) They're upstairs in a conference room, in a meeting, and have lost what uh, people refer to as a founder's mentality, that constant pressure and drive to talk to customers and how are we doing and, you know, are you happy with the product and do you like it and will you buy it again? And, you know, once you're successful, you sort of sometimes lose that founder's mentality. I see a lot of times in cases, like you mentioned, you know, the, the executive is in the very back corner of the building and there's about 18 gatekeepers to get to them. So, the, you know, the, right. the people that would normally want to access them, you know, really don't have an opportunity to do so. Another thing that comes to mind too is, in these organizations that are able to adjust, I don't want to say on the fly, but can adjust faster than other organizations, do you find that you know, those types of organizations tend to embrace changes or you know, they just naturally are, are designed to be able to navigate through you know, whatever they need to do to keep their organization successful? Yeah, again, it's never one size fits all, but you know, a, a, another reason the companies have challenges shifting is that there is an intolerance to risk. They're nervous. And everything is more risky than doing what they did yesterday. Doing something different tomorrow 
is riskier than doing what you did yesterday. You know, it affects big companies and small companies. We had a conversation, excuse me, with uh, P&G. And one of the reasons they cited they were having trouble shifting the organization have is they call the massive middle. The CEO and leadership sort of knows they have to be agile and change. Younger people come in and say, hey, you know, who's going to spend $20 for a razor? But in the middle, you've got lots of people that are concerned, that are nervous, that are very risk averse. And so you had this massive bulge in the middle. So risk aversion is a big thing because almost always what you do tomorrow or what you need to do is unproven and ultimately also potentially in the short term less profitable, which is another, you know, Wall Street has golden handcuffs on many, many public companies because doing what you did yesterday, you've managed to make that really profitable. Doing something different tomorrow, you haven't figured out yet. So it's inherently going to be less profitable. Well, sure. And even, you know, for certain launches, you know, there's things that, you know, may not be profitable in the short term, but the long term, it might make a ton of sense for the organization to do it. But Wall Street investors and boards of directors, oftentimes their vision is about the extent of where their nose ends and not much further than that. And a lot of times organizations can shortchange themselves by not uh, implementing those those changes to you know adjust yep. I, you know I, I was on an interview the other day and we were talking about Nokia and how they were huge in the cell phone market space and they had an opportunity to launch a smartphone type of device with a touch screen and an app store and all of that stuff and their leadership decided against it and then Apple decided to do it a few years later and well we, we know what <laughs> happened right. there so yeah. it, I mean, that's two principles because we did talk to a lot of folks at BlackBerry and Nokia. And two things make that situation happen. One is too many people play tennis and not enough golf. And what I mean by that is people are very, when you play tennis, and I play both badly, you really have to pay attention to where your opponent is. If they're on the left, you know, you'd be better off hitting it to the right. And if they're on the right, you're better off hitting it to the left. But you're really focused on who the across the court. And many businesses are very focused like that. You know, when I was at Unilever, I was preoccupied or we were preoccupied with what is P&G doing? What's Colgate doing? Colgate's dropping their price. Let's drop our price. So you're just looking right in front of you. And I worked with Pepsi, very fixated on Coke. When you play golf, and I play that badly, yes, I, I play with people and I'm a little concerned about how badly they're beating me. But when I'm taking my shot, I'm not watching them. <laughs> if I want any hope of not embarrassing myself further, I'm watching ball, the wind. So companies that zoom out and pay attention to the customer and not just look at what their competitors do tend to do a better job. So in the phone space, to bring it back to your question, a lot of phone companies, you know, saw Apple, but, you know, they looked at mostly who their direct competitors were. And they said, eh, Apple's a toy. There was a bit of arrogance uh, in many companies. And when you did market research, it didn't help you. You know, would you pay $600 for a phone? When Nokia was selling them for $95, the answer was no. But, you know, of course, they weren't really building a phone. They were building something else, meaning Apple. So the combination of looking right in front of you and not zooming out, playing tennis, not playing golf, a bit of arrogance, and a bit of the fact that, you know, they were making lots of money. They, on the, if you're making a million cell phones, it's cheaper than making 10 smartphones. <laughs> so you tend to do what you did yesterday. Yeah. And, you know, when, of course, history dictates, you know, how those things pan out over time. And it's definitely a lot of arguments between is it an art form or a science? And it's a little bit of both. But I think organizations that 
can be forward thinking and, and make those uh, adjustments and take calculated risks are the ones that tend to be a little bit more successful in, in the long run. For small businesses and organizations that are growing and things like that, what are some things that they can look for in case they do need to make a pivot before it's too late? What are some things that they should be on the lookout for? And I'll just pick up where you left off. One of the big reasons many companies, large and small, fail to shift is it's too late. <laughs> By the time they realize that their cheeses move, their sales are you know falling like a rock. They don't have time to develop and test an idea. You know, it's a, it's a classic. If you look at what happens to Sears and Radio Shack, you're you're cutting your stores, you're you're closing. You know, you can't pay your help well enough, and and then you want to innovate on top of it. It's probably the worst time. So, the easy advice, and it's really easy to say and incredibly hard to do, is that the time you should be innovating is when you've had your best quarter ever, and not when the sky is falling and sales are falling. And that applies to big companies and small. But for small companies, it's really easy to say, hey, great quarter, let's uh, go out for dinner and have a great party. Not great quarter, you know, now's the time to put ourselves out of business with a new product launch or <laughs> figure out what's next. You know, keep that in mind. The other thing for a small business is you need to play to your strength. Lots of small businesses shift, but they go from being a business that requires X skill to a business that requires Y skill. And they just think if they just shift, everything will be okay. But success in shifting ahead often has more to do with how well you execute and how professionally you execute and what your strengths are. And you know, lots of people see the same trends at the same time, but very few people can get both the timing right and execute really well. So my advice for small companies is do it every day. Don't make, as we say when we were doing the research in the book, and for companies that make, you know, tomorrow's an agenda item, we'll talk about tomorrow on Thursday at four. Those companies are more likely to end up on the list of whatever happened to them. Uh, so don't make it an agenda item and play to your strength. Don't, don't shift to something you're terrible at, even if that's what customers want, because you'll get there, but you won't win the day. Well, that's crucial advice for every organization, small or big or in between. So tell us some of the great things you guys are doing at Metaphors. Well, you know, a lot of what we do at Metaphors has grown out of this because when you're shifting a business head, there are two things that are challenging is which direction do you shift in? What do you do? What do you do to your brand? What do you do to your product? And there are lots of things you could do, but what's the right area of focus? You know, you need to be precise in figuring out what you want to do, which gets back to another reason many companies shift ahead. They're so risk averse. They have one team doing this and they hedge their bet and they, you know, they do a lot of things. They study this, they study that, they do four things. But you know, success is doing one thing or two things and really focusing. So one of the things we do at Metaphors is help clients figure out precisely what should they be doing to grow their business? What are the one or two things, not the 10 things? And then how do they precisely execute it? Because so many marketers today have a check the box mentality. We've got a website, we do a little social, you know, we have a nice design, we do a little advertising, we do... And, you know, they're all okay, but in a world where social media drives things, no one shares average. So you're better off saying, if you're going to do one thing, what are the two things you can do really well and executing brilliantly? And um, so we try to both precisely define the growth levels, levers, and then help clients find the right experts to do the two or three things they want to do really, really well. 
And that's hard to do because everyone in marketing and business said, oh, we can do that too. You go to any consulting firm, oh, we can solve that problem. No one ever turns down an opportunity. So you go to an ad agency and they'll say, well, we can do direct marketing. We can do digital. We can do social. We can do... And some of them get pretty good at it. But if you really want to excel at how you do things, you know, you want an expert. You don't want a generalist doing brain surgery on you. You want a brain surgeon. That's great advice. And it reminds me of... I grew up in the Detroit area and I remember when General Motors was buying all kinds of different organizations. They were in satellite dishes and they were doing all these different things. And, right. uh, and even at, you know, at a younger age, I'm looking at them going, you make cars. Why are you doing all this other stuff that I, I understand from a, you know, deserve, diversifying their income and all that, right. I get, but they, that wasn't who they were. And mm-hmm. it really got them in trouble and they're still trying to recover from it from as far as a, a market share and, and other right. things. So I love the analogy of, you know, pick two or three things and be really, really good at those. Because right. if you do that, then your organization is going to be known as the thought leader or the go-to in those two or three things, and you'll be fine. And it, But if when you're trying to be be-all, end-all and do everything well, you're going right. to do everything well. I mean, the car industry is a perfect example of that principle, as you indicate, you know, you get in, and when I rent a car, which is another category that's about to be overrun, but you get in a rent, rental car and you're in the inside of a car and you can't tell, you have to be a, a clairvoyant to know, are you in a Chevrolet or are you in a Nissan or are you in a Toyota? Because they all, it's a sea of similarity. Everyone has roughly the same coffee cup holder. You know, the phone syncs roughly the same way. You know, there's so little difference between one car and the other. They're all nice, but average. They don't exceed or excel at any one thing. And as such, you end up saying, if I can't see the difference, why pay the difference? Exactly. And that's the big takeaway from all of this. So, Alan, where can people find out more about you and the stuff that you're doing? Oh, they can uh, go to uh, metaphors.co, C-O, or they can ask Siri to find me or my book, Shift Ahead. And any one of those uh, with a good, uh, with either Alexa or Siri or uh, being able to spell a few names like uh, Shift Ahead or Metaphors, you should be able to find me. That's awesome. And audience will have all that information in the show notes, including the link to a very good book. And I highly recommend that you pick it up because if you're running a business, uh, there's some incredible insights in this book to help you navigate those pivots before it's too late. So Alan, appreciate you being on the show today. Uh, thank you so much for your insights and, and all the great work that you're doing, not only yourself, but with you know, Metaphors and everything else that you're doing. Terrific. Thanks for your time. It was a pleasure being here. Thank you for being on here. Until next time, everybody be well. Hey, it's Michael again. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. If you're like many people, you're dealing with some significant stress and possibly approaching burnout. I know how you feel. In 2009, my burnout led to a year of worst-case scenarios. I do not want that to happen to you. If you go to breakfastleadership.com, you can register for a free webinar on burnout prevention, as well as get as a free checklist to have successful mornings. Start off each day the right way. Again, that's at breakfastleadership.com. Also, since you are a loyal podcast listener, I'm asking you to like, rate, and review my podcast on iTunes. I look at all the reviews and appreciate your comments, and it helps other potential listeners discover the content I have on the show. I appreciate you, and thanks again for listening.